Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. Thanks, Oren. Yeah, we, uh, um, if you're not familiar with what we do here at Central, uh, most of the time, um, across a month, we take one passage of scripture and then we just look at it and read it through different lenses. And I was reminded, um, I, um, I hosted the Pete Enns um, History of Biblical Interpretation. That We had a daytime session um, at, at our house a couple of weeks ago and um, just looking at the ways that the Bible has been read over history, I think the big takeaway for me was the reminder that um, throughout most of church history, we've, we've acknowledged that there's not just one way to read the Bible, but there's always been multiple layers of meaning that God's people have discovered and, and dug into as they approach scripture. And, and, and that's what we do, I guess, as we are looking at it through different perspectives. We're not saying, and this one is the right one, but we're acknowledging that we can just keep mining scripture because it's living and active for, for truth and relevance and inspiration and challenge um, for our own lives. And that, that is endless in a way, in, in the ways we come to scripture. So yeah, Oren did a political reading and this afternoon I'm going to um, have a look at this passage of scripture through an Ignatian um, lens, um, through the lens of St. Ignatius. And so we're going to hopefully have some fun together this afternoon. Um, I'm going to have fun and you're welcome to have fun with me um, as we go. But before I dig into any of this, I want to ask you two questions um, and I want you to just answer these two questions honestly. If you'd like to um, make a note in your phone of your two answers, you'd be welcome to do that. Um, or if you just want to think about these two questions, um, I'm just going to start here. And the first question I want to ask you is, what do you most desire in life right now, this afternoon? So I'm asking you that question. And if you were imagining that we were sitting over a cup of coffee and I was asking you, what is it that you most desire in life right in this moment? How would you... How would you answer me that? What would you say? That's your first question. And your second question is um, slightly different and maybe there will be a, a similar answer, maybe there'll be a different answer. But the second question is, what do you most desire? And I'm going to give you three choices of a I don't know what that word's called. Not multiple choice, but like, oh, they're the questions. Um, what's the what's with anyway? It's like, is it a conjunction or you know who knows their grammar? No. Anyway, what do you most desire with God, or what do you most desire in God, or what do you most desire from God? I'm going to let you put the word in the middle there that you want to answer because each of those different words have a different kind of feel to them. How would you, what one do you want to answer and how would you answer it? What do you most desire with God 
in God or from God. Okay, I'm going to be, we're going to be looking um, this afternoon at the feeding of the 5,000 from um, Mark. It is in all four Gospels. Slightly different, but not very in each of the four Gospels. John has the longest account of this um, miracle. And in fact, John turns this account of the feeding of the 5,000 into what is seen in the Gospel of John as um, also um, the Last Supper. Because if you read John, there is no Last Supper. There's a foot washing, but there's not a last meal. But John incorporates the feeding of the 5,000 and it acts as um, the bread thing. Um, there is also in some of the Gospels the feeding of um, the 4,000. And where you see that, and we see that in... Um, Mark in particular, it's interesting because the feeding of the 5,000 happens in Jewish territory and the feeding of the 4,000 happens in Gentile territory. And I think what Mark is doing with that is telling us that God feeds the world, not just his chosen people, um, but God is bread for all people. But we're reading the feeding of the 5,000 from Mark chapter 6. So I'm going to read it out and it's going to be up on the screen there from verse 30 to verse 43. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognised them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him and they said, This is a remote place and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, You give them something to eat. They said to him, That would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten 
was 5,000. Familiar story. Who's got like childhood memories of like, <laughs> I don't know. I've got felt, felt childhood memories of things like this. <laughs> Interestingly, you know, when you're like, in my, in my mind, if you were to ask me to recall this story, I would always tell you that it was a little boy that gave the five loaves and two fish to Jesus, but that's actually only present in the Gospel of John. In the other three Gospels, it's not like specified. It's just kind of a bit random. It's funny how they... We remember a lot of what we've been taught rather than we read what's actually there. Um, so we're going to look at this passage um, through an Ignatian perspective this afternoon. I don't know how many of you are familiar with St. Ignatius, um, but he I am um, quite uh, warm towards ye old St. Ignatius. And I'm going to tell you a little bit of his story and, um, and then we're going to just dive into it a bit. So is there anyone familiar with St. Ignatius? A few people maybe heard the name, St. Ignatius of Loyola. Um, there's a, well, that's not really a picture of him. Someone's painted that striking man with a moustache. What was that? A receding hairline, yeah. Oh. Anyway, he was, um, Ignatius was actually born um, Inigo. You know, my name is Inigo Montoya. He's not Inigo Montoya. He was Inigo someone else. Um, he was born Inigo someone, someone, someone um, in the Basque region of Spain. So he's Spanish in 1491 and he died in 1556. He, uh, Spain, go Spain. Oh, no, I don't know. Who's going for Spain tonight? Who doesn't? Oh, a few, who's going for England? Becky, oh, who doesn't care? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he was born in Spain, born to a wealthy family. He was the youngest of 13 children, which pretty much meant he got to do whatever he wanted. Like in those days, probably if you were, well, I don't know, one of the top five kids, maybe you'd have like family obligations in terms of, you know, the, the life you would lead and the things you would need to do. But being number 13 kind of gave you a fairly like... Um, large sway unless numbers one to 12 passed away in which you would have to like really step up to the family plate. But um, Inigo was number 13 and so he was free to do as he pleased. Um, when he was seven years old, his dad um, gave him the haircut of a monk, you know, like where you shave the full top of your head and just leave the fringe around the, the side. So he was, he, that was called being tons, tonsured, tonsured. And anyway, so his dad did that to him at seven years old, kind of anticipating that he was going to enter, you know, the monastery and become a man of God. But Inigo had other plans and he, um, he went when he was about 12 or 13 years of age to be a page um, at a wealthy relative's castle and then spent his teenage years um, doing that. And as, as an older teenager, these were... Um, some of the things that he did. So he, he, in this household of a wealthy relative, he took up dancing, fencing, gambling, pursuit of young ladies and duelling. And he patterned his, or he attempted to pattern his life over the stories he would read of the Knights of Camelot and other romantic chivalrous stories that he would, like little stories that were available at the day. So he had a really vivid imagination. He wanted to be someone phenomenal and he wanted to be like the, the heroes in these books um, that he read. 
He joined the army at 17 years of age, um, hoping for fame and glory, like this was going to be the way that he um, became famous and found glory. And there's a couple of descriptions that we have of him that people wrote, like kind of biographical um, descriptions. He was described as strutting about with his cape flying open to reveal his tight-fitting stockings and his boots with a sword and a dagger at his waist. Are you getting like a visual picture of Inigo here? Like, you know, (laughs) he was also described as a fancy dresser, an expert dancer, a womanizer, someone sensitive to insult and a rough punkish swordsman who used his privileged status to get away with committing violent crimes during the carnival time. So he was exactly what you might imagine by how I've described him, a young punk (laughs) and uh, one who liked to wear tight-fitting clothes and and show them off. So that that was sort of his life. That was his character. That's who he was. Um, At 18, he joined the army and took up arms for the second Duke of Najira and he fought many battles for the next 12 years for this Duke, which when we say many battles, this was before Spain was Spain and it was more like those regional kind of provinces and they'd all kind of like fight each other every now and then. And so he he did that for about 12 years until he was fighting in the Battle of Pamplona and a cannonball ricocheted off a brick wall, well, off a wall, and smashed into his right leg. And it just basically um, shattered his right leg and ended his military career and changed his life forever. So after that happened, he was sent back home to his family's castle to recover. And he underwent several surgeries without anaesthetic um, to try and fix his leg. <laughs> like this is, you know very early, like 1500s. Um, None of them were very successful and he lived probably with a fair bit of pain for the rest of his life and always his right leg was shorter than his left. Um, During that time of recovery, when he was recovering in his family's castle, he kept pestering his sister to get him these, like, go get me the Knights of Camelot. I want to read my, you know, romantic chivalrous stories and, like, go back to the imagination of being the hero that he wanted to be. But there was none of those books in the castle. The only thing that was available to him was the life of Christ and the saints. And so with the only book that he could read being about the life of Jesus and the saints, that's what he read. And in the reading of the of that book and in that time that he spent recovering, God encountered him. And he had a radical conversion and from that time on dedicated himself um, to serving God. Um, He founded the Jesuit order, um, which is still a thriving monastic order today. Um, And he he founded it along with six companions and he, he developed a lot of wonderful spiritual practice that is um you know, is really, really life-giving in terms of spirituality. So the examine, one of the things we often do together in our contemplative service, that comes out of St Ignatius of Loyola, along with all kinds of different things. Um, He developed what he called the spiritual exercises, which is a four-week 
pro program, you could call it, of of connection with God and going deeper into the life of Jesus. Ignatius really had a passion for scripture and he had a vivid imagination and he had this experience with the scriptures that like when he would read his romantic knight's tales, um, he would enjoy it while he read it but then it would just kind of disappear into the background once he was done. But he discovered that when he was reading the Gospels and when he was reading you know, the other um, lives of the saints and things that he had access to at the time, after he'd finished reading, what he'd read would linger with him and kind of be at work in his soul. And so he just discovered the richness and the, the living nature of God's word as it is at work in our own lives. And so one of the things that St Ignatius and you know, his monastic order and onwards from today have left as a legacy for those of us in the faith is the, is the knowledge and practice that as we read scripture and as we enter into the biblical story with um, the partner of the Holy Spirit, that God is actively at work in our hearts and our minds and our souls and that God will speak to us as we faithfully find ourselves in the, in the scriptures. And actually, this, the feeding of the 5,000 is one of the passages that St. Ignatius um, uses in his four-week spiritual exercises. And so when Ignatius would develop ways to help people sit in gospel stories, it's really about helping people engage their imagination so that you, you actually enter the story. So rather than it just being a passage of scripture that sits in black and white in our Bibles, it becomes a living word of God, a living story that we enter in order to encounter Jesus and to listen to Jesus and to meet with God. And so that, that's the aim of Ignatius. And that's what I thought we might do with our passage this afternoon is to enter in if, um, if you might trust me and if you might trust God, that together we could go into this and just see what God has for each one of us because this is not, there is, this, there is no pass or fail when you do, um, you know, this kind of engagement with, with the biblical text. There is only you and Jesus and what the Holy Spirit might reveal to you as you go. So I'm going to um, maybe... Just set a little bit more of the scene in terms of how this passage sits within the book of Mark and what's, what's sitting before it to give us a little bit, to ground us a little bit more in what is actually happening. And then I'm going to maybe invite you to bring your imagination to the text and to find yourself in it. So it is going to require... Um, it's going to require you to be creative and let yourself enter in. So this is invitational. You might be tired. You might hate this kind of thing. I just give you permission to just, you can have a nap for 10 minutes if that's what's going to bless you the most. Um, but I, I want to invite you to, to enter in, knowing that God always wants to meet us where we are. Um, the only thing I will say is that there is a very small percentage of people in this world who, uh, I don't know if it's a condition, I'll call it a condition, have a condition that's called aphantasia, which means they actually cannot imagine things with their eyes closed. 
So it's, it's a legitimate, like, mind condition. <laughs> I don't know what it's called. But like if I, so there are people genuinely that if I said, close your eyes and imagine yourself, you know, standing on the sand at the water's edge, they could not actually do that. Like their, their brain does not, like the, it doesn't work. So if you have affin, it doesn't, yes, yeah, sorry, not there. <laughs> Their brain works very well, but it doesn't work that way. So if you, I don't know if there's anyone here in the room that has aphantasia, but but if you're like, if you struggle with imaginative things and you have permission to just engage however you might, might engage. Does that sound okay? All right. Just a few things about this passage to ground us before we dive into it. It starts by saying the apostles all gathered around Jesus and... Um, were reporting to him all that they'd done. That's a reference to the fact that just before this passage, Jesus has sent them out, sent the 12 out, two by two, to go into the surrounding towns and villages and to, to preach the gospel, calling people to repent. And that he does that with this bit that you'll be familiar with, where he gives them the instructions that they're to take nothing for the journey except a walking stick or a staff. They're to take nothing with them except their staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. So he sends out his disciples two by two with nothing, trusting in God and the provision they might encounter on the way. Um, he also says to them, um, wear sandals but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a, as a testimony against them. So Jesus has just sent out all his disciples two by two. We don't know how long they went for. I don't know how long. I don't know if they went for a week. I don't know if they travelled for a month. I don't like. There's no specified time on how long Jesus sent them out. But there is a sense in this that Jesus has sent them out with the message that he's been teaching them and he's equipped them and he sent them out on his behalf to go and and share the good news of the kingdom and they were to anoint the sick and they saw miracles and they saw amazing things happen and they haven't seen Jesus for a little while. And then it's kind of like they've all come back together and they're having that experience where they're all sharing like all the things that they've done. And like I, when I think about this scene, I can imagine like the 12 in, a, in the room of a house with Jesus. They haven't seen each other for a while. And you know that feeling like where everyone's like telling stories and they're talking over one another. And it's like, we saw this, we saw this, I saw that, you know, and they're just going and they're bouncing off one another. And there's this like, there's energy in the room and there's, there's noise and there's joy and there's like reunion and there's all kinds of things taking place as um, the, the disciples and Jesus have come back together. And the passage says that they're doing this with so much enthusiasm that they forget to eat. I don't, I don't know how long this catch-up reunion went for, but they've missed maybe breakfast and lunch. And... So this is the sort of scene that we, we're entering into. So I'm going to, uh, how about we just pray? How about you find, make yourself comfortable? Um, that it will be um, engaging our imaginations a little bit easier when our eyes are closed. 
But if that doesn't feel comfortable for you to have your eyes closed, then that's okay. You might like to just um, keep, your, keep your gaze soft and, and, and look at something simple. And we'll just be here. And I'm going to pray. Jesus, I thank you that these scriptures are alive. That these accounts that we have here in our Bibles, it's not just history. And it's, it's not just black and white story, but it's living and it's active. And Holy Spirit, I just acknowledge that when we partner with you, and we read the words of scripture that you make things come alive in our hearts and in our minds and in our bodies. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that as we engage this passage this afternoon, would you reveal to each one of us the things we need to catch from God? Would you give us eyes to hear and ears to hear the things that God would have for us? And so, Jesus, we say we trust you. Holy Spirit, we trust you. And we just present our imaginations to you to be made holy as we read this story. And so I just invite you to picture that scene that I described. That room full of Jesus' followers sharing stories. What does it look like to you? What's the room like? What's the noise level like? Can you see Jesus in the middle? And what's the, what's the expression on Jesus' face as he, as he listens to all these stories of his friends that come back with good news? What does Jesus look like? And Jesus, after a time, notices that tummies are rumbling and time has passed. And he knows that after such amazing adventures, that there's often a weariness that comes at the end. And so he, he looks at each one of his followers and he notices the mix of, of joy and contentment and exhaustion on their faces. And he says to them, come with me. Let's get away. Let's find somewhere quiet to get some rest. 
So Jesus leads the disciples out. And they go down to where the boat is waiting at the edge of the shore. And they hop in. And they row themselves across the lake to a place that's familiar to them, a place of rest, a place of quiet. I wonder how you feel in this moment. I wonder where you are in the boat. I don't know if you noticed this, but people seem to have noticed Jesus and the the disciples leaving and, and so little figures are running along the shore and they're trying to anticipate where the boat's going to land and they want to get there. They want to be close to Jesus. And so there's people that run ahead and as the boat's pulling into the shore on this more secluded place, all of a sudden there's a crowd There's a whole crowd of people hungry for Jesus. And when the boat lands there, Jesus hops out and he sees the crowd and he has compassion on them. His his whole response to this crowd is, is compassion. It's not frustration or annoyance or leave me alone, but it's compassion. Can you see the look on Jesus' face? The look of compassion. It says that Jesus began to teach them many things. And time is passing. I wonder where you are in this scene. I wonder if you're one of the people listening to Jesus. I wonder if you resonate with being one of the disciples of Jesus, longing to just get away and get some rest and kind of feel a bit interrupted by this crowd who've also come and want a piece of Jesus. If you're a part of the listening audience, I wonder where you are. Are you up close? Are you sitting as close as you can to the feet of Jesus? Or do you feel like you might actually be a little bit more towards the edges of the crowd? Happy to kind of watch on and listen from a distance. But you want a little bit of a space as you hear what Jesus says. you kind of notice that time has passed and the sun's getting pretty low in the sky. I wonder if you can picture what the scene's like. A crowd of people listening to Jesus, weary disciples. 
the sun's low in the sky. And all the disciples want to do is get some rest. But they want to be kind to the crowd as well. And so they kind of come up to Jesus and they say, you know, it's kind of getting late, Jesus. And we're in a fairly remote place. We think you should send the crowd away so they can get some dinner. Find something to eat. And Jesus, he turns to the disciples and he says, you get them something to eat. How do you imagine the tone of that coming from Jesus? Like, as you imagine this scene, what's the tone of Jesus' voice as he says to the disciples, you give them something to eat? The disciples get pretty practical straight away and they sort of say, Jesus, that would like take half a year's wages to like go and buy bread to feed this crowd. How are we going to do that? They've forgotten that Jesus sends people out with nothing and amazing things happen. And so Jesus says, says to his followers, what, what have you got? What, what do you have? What's in your hands? And so they go and check and they discover that they've got five bread rolls and two fish. They've got a small amount. It's definitely not enough to feed this crowd. They do have something. And so Jesus receives what they have to give and he says to them, get all the people to sit down in groups, groups of 100, groups of 50. Sit them down on the green grass. Can you picture that scene? The sun's low in the sky. It's the end of a really long day. There's a huge crowd of people, some up close, hanging on every word, some at the edges, listening cautiously. Can you see them all sitting down? And then Jesus takes the loaves and the fish and he looks up into heaven. Can you see Jesus holding bread, holding fish, looking up to his Father in heaven? And he gives thanks for the little that he has. And then he breaks the bread and the fish and they begin to hand it out. I wonder where you feel yourself in this scene. Are you, are you one of the followers that's handing out what seems to be an endless supply of bread and fish? Are you someone just needing to be sitting on the grass at the feet of Jesus, 
receiving dinner. Do you take what you're given and break some off and pass it to the next person near you? Do you even know that a miracle is occurring? The scripture says, everyone ate and was satisfied. How does it feel to you to eat and be satisfied? The story finishes by saying that the disciples, once this was over, went and picked up all the leftover pieces of broken bread and broken fish. And there were 12 baskets full of leftovers. Can you picture 12 baskets of leftovers? Bread, fish, more than enough. All ate and were satisfied. Wherever you picture yourself in this scene, in this story, this afternoon, I want to invite you to finish by just looking at Jesus and having a small conversation about how you feel and about what you've seen. What do you want to say to Jesus? What do you want to ask him? Is there something you want to tell him? Amen. I want you to just take a moment to just come back to the present and maybe just sift through all the, the little the things that you imagined and that you sat in in that last little bit. And what I'd like us to do just for a few minutes is, um, if you're comfortable, I'd like you to just share with one or two people around you, um, you could share a few things. If you feel comfortable sharing what it, what, what it was that you encountered in Jesus in that moment, you could share that. Um, if you just found it, that whole experience really hard, you're very welcome to just be honest and say, 
I found that really hard and didn't get it at all. Um, or maybe you'd like to share something that struck you that hasn't struck you before about that story, but as you imagined it, it sat with you. So how about we just take a few moments just to share, um, bring what has been kind of an internal you know, experience for us, bring that out into friendship and relationship with another person and just share. So I'll give you a few minutes just to chew over that with somebody and then we'll, we'll come back together. Okay. How are we doing? I'd, I'd love to hear some people's reflections or thoughts or things that struck them as they, they engaged with that. Would anyone like to share? There is no wrong answer. A truthful answer is, is all there is. And um, yeah, I think it'd be great to if anyone wants to be brave. Um, I, I was sharing that, like, yeah, I probably had a bit of everything moments when I was, like, engaged and then moments where I was drifting in consciousness. Um, but I did, like, the bit that I, found, yeah, felt the, was the most meaningful for me was to, towards the end where you were just asking us, like, what well, would we ask Jesus? But I sort of instead, uh, like, I was I pictured him coming over to me, like, we were sort of at the, at the end, like, everyone w was fed and was eating and so it was kind of I was feeling the weariness of you know all that had proceeded and yeah and then it was kind of just this shared thing that Jesus just came and kind of plonked himself down on the grass next to me and we just sort of ate our bread I didn't have the fish but um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no, he, but it was just this it was this love lovely thing of just yeah he just him choosing to come and and be with me and just we didn't even say anything we just sort of were there together and ate and it was like yeah it was lovely um i think the significance of that was feel, feeling valued by by god really yeah that it's um not not only is it me wanting god but god would come and just be with me yeah and with not not with agenda mm. Does anyone else want to share? Yeah, just one of the things going through my head is, well, obviously, you know, God's provision with this, but also just how quickly we forget <laughs> God's provision. And so like the disciples, like you were saying, they just come back from a mission trip where they took nothing, yet they all survived, they all came back. <laughs> and so you'd like to think that they were provided for, yet they forget that as soon as Jesus says, you know, you feed them. And I just think about my own life and how many times God's provided for me. And it's great. You know, it's, I'm in a situation. It's hard. I don't know the way out. God comes through. It's a miracle. It's amazing. But then the next time I come up against something, it's, again, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And it's this, this cycle of, of um, you know, being provided for, you know, being joyful and then forgetting and being fearful and then being provided for. <laughs> and, and I just, yeah, it's hard to get it off that cycle but um yeah but I just remember yeah, that going through my head going through this and and hopefully I learn from <laughs> I learn from this and move past that one day I mean it's interesting that um that is I think that is a cycle we all experience a forgetfulness about 
the goodness of God, a forgetfulness that we can trust him. And yet when you watch Jesus in this story, there is never any shame or condemnation or frustration. It's just provision. It's just, again, looking to God, blessing bread, breaking it and sharing it. And I, that we need to remember that when we find ourselves, because we can kick ourselves that we're not trusting God, but God never does. God is, is kind and gentle and endless provider. With regards to the order of provision, at the very end there are 12 baskets and there, as far as I can see, that's a linkage to the 12 tribes. But he fed all the other people first, which is an upending of what the Pharisees were saying to the Jewish people, that we are God's chosen people. We're the first. Everyone else comes second. But Jesus upended that. There was also the, the comment that two of those disciples later had, shall we say, crisis of faith. There was Judas and there was Thomas as well. But yet they'd been on this journey where they'd seen the spirit at work. So to pick up Oren's thing, how quickly we forget. Anyone else want to share? Oh, Peter. Apart from having a good snooze at the end, I thought I'd, I thought I'd admit to you know feeling myself in the role of one of the disciples, being really pissed off with with um, this crowd that has beaten us to the shore where we're going for a rest, and. Um, and more pissed off with Jesus that he had compassion on them and wanted to look after them as well. Um, but then, as we've been talking, I've just been reflecting on thinking and how quickly we do forget. You know, we've just been we've just been out as disciples and seen amazing things happen th- through you know through Jesus, but without Jesus present. And now Jesus is saying, "Well, you feed them." Well, he's just saying, "Okay, here's your next challenge." It's just part of the same thing. You know, you've given us. You've given us the power to go out and um, minister to people, so now do it here. And and the disciples aren't up to that challenge. But, uh, it's a bit like what Oren's saying. You forget what you just experienced, what God's done with you and through you, and just go back and look to God to do it all again for you. Thanks, Peter. Anyone else want to share? I was thinking about the quote that Luke shared from the Wild Church card about the um, shocking and unpredictable presence of God. And I don't know, because I, I was at Wild Church, so I've been kind of thinking about that today. And yeah, just I think I felt the surprise of what was happening with the food, <laughs> you know. And yeah, I don't know. There's something really comforting about that. And I also, though, was thinking about as a kid or even maybe young adult, how I've heard that story is almost like you have to take this small thing you have and make it be big and amazing. Like your, your small offering, you have to give it to God so God can make it so big. And I, I felt I, it landed differently this time, you know, and because the responsibility was with Jesus. <laughs> it wasn't with, I mean, it wasn't even the disciples. They kind of just, yeah. you know, barely even <laughs> 
participated. So, yeah, that's that's good. Anyone else? I think um, I think one of the one of the gifts I found about like this is an Ignatian way of reading scripture, is that it helps us enter into the Bible in a living way, helps us to see things we may not see when we just read. But like Luke shared, it helps us actually encounter Jesus in a in a personal way. And I have found that, you know, when I bring myself to texts like this and sit with Jesus, I have experiences with him that led by the Holy Spirit that fill my spiritual life with with good food and and good things and so I just um I offer you that reading that way of reading scripture um you can do that with any passage any gospel passage um dig into it get behind it use all your senses picture yourself um and one of the beautiful things about that is there is no right or wrong. You could imagine yourself as Jesus in this passage. There are times when those of us who are responsible for other people feel those pressures that Jesus experienced in that moment. He was tired too. He was wanting to get away and rest. And then he gets there and there's another crowd of people wanting a piece of him. I know that feeling. Do you know that feeling? And to be moved by compassion in moments like that and trust the God of abundance that he gives us enough to keep loving others. There's the experiences we have. We meet Jesus. We find ourselves in the crowd, sometimes close, sometimes far, but always fed. Um, it says that everybody ate and was satisfied, not just the ones that were close up, but even the ones that were at the very edges and not even sure if they wanted to participate with what was going on. There's enough for everybody. Is it? Oh, yeah. So, this is not a planned question. Um, like you talked about doing that, but when we don't have a character, like read us a sort of a script and got and you know guide into that. Like, because I know you've done a bit of Ignatian reading and found it good, like what would be, how would you recommend to like pick a, like if you're reading a, a gospel story to actually kind of, you know, enter that in, in an imaginative way? I mean, you can find guided things like this online. So if you enjoy it, and not everybody does, so that's okay, but there is things like that. I have used Ignat this Ignatian method kind of in a, a different way. So um, many years ago I had, um, I see a spiritual director and I had a previous spiritual director who was trained in Ignatian um, spirituality. And every time I would go and see her, I'd go see her once a month and I'd bring something that was happening in my everyday life that I wanted to um, share with her and then help her help me find Jesus in the midst of it. That's a little bit about what spiritual direction is, like having a companion that helps you 
um, discover God in the midst of your life. And it would not matter what thing I said. Like I could be enraged, I could be despairing, I could be exhausted, I could be frustrated, I could be happy, I could be doubtful. Like it would not matter what feeling I came to the session with. She would always say to me, Carolyn, where do you see Jesus having that same experience in the Gospels? So she would push me constantly towards the Gospels. And so together we would then, you know, kind of like think through the, all, all the encounters of Jesus where I could find Jesus having that same experience, whether it was frustration, exhaustion, anger. And then she would say to me, go and sit in that passage of Scripture and be with Jesus and let Jesus' experience of that meet your experience of that and have a conversation. So I, that's a little, that's a bit of a bit of a back, bit more of a backdoor into Ignatian thing. But like, if we truly believe that, like our scriptures tell us, that Jesus experienced everything of what it means to be human, then all of our experiences can be found in Jesus. And so this passage for me would be probably an experience where Jesus was maybe um, touching towards the end of of himself and like feeling tired and needing a break and, and then having more people want him and then having to like not even his disciples knew how to help him. He's, he was sort of like maybe hoping they'd come to the party and be like, I can help you. And then they don't even help him. And so he's like, all right, come on. And then like, so I, like, I know that feeling of like feeling tired, feeling at the end of myself and then hoping for some help, but then being let down and then knowing I've got to go to God. And so I would go and sit with Jesus in that moment and like we would be together and he would be like, yeah, I get it. And I would be like, yeah, this is how I feel. He'd be like, I felt that too. Let's go to God together. Like, so it was that meeting of, of Jesus. So that, that's, yeah, a backwards way in. I'm mindful of the time and I'm, we're going to come to the table to finish. So we're going to come to bread, not fish. Um, well, I mean, one of the remarkable things about this story, that's the other thing when you engage your imagination, I'm like, was the fish cooked? Yeah. Like, how was it? How did it get there? There was no esky. Was it wrapped up? Was it smoked? Was it like dried? It talks about breaking the fish. Is this a whole fish? Is there guts? Like, is there bones? Like, what happened to all those bits? And then, can you imagine the disciples walking around a whole patch of grass? And we say patch, I mean, the 5,000 people, that's a large crowd, like picking up broken bits of fish. To fill baskets? That's gross. I think that's gross. Like when you think about the story, you start to be like, I don't want to be one of the disciples filling baskets of of discarded fish pieces and bread that maybe people had chewed. So that's not what we've got at the table today. But I, um, I actually want to come right back to the beginning when I first said to you, what do you most desire in life? this afternoon and what do you most desire from God or in God or with God and I'm wondering if there's been anything that that the spirit has done among us this afternoon that has been a kind of response to that desire in you there might have been something that 
you've already encountered through the story that the Spirit has just blessed you with. But if not, I want to invite you as we come to the table, the table of provision, the table of plenty, the table of the Lord, that this is a place where we come and find all that we need. It's really interesting to me, this story in the book of Luke takes place just outside the village of Bethsaida. And Bethsaida literally means house or place of fishing or hunting. In other words, Bethsaida means a plentiful table. But Jesus doesn't send the people to the place of the plentiful table to be satisfied. Jesus does what God always is doing, which is laying a table in the wilderness full of bread so people can eat and be satisfied. And often in our own lives, we can think of all the places we go looking for answers or for satisfaction or for things. But God's table is a place where we can come with our desires, with what we need, knowing that God knows what we need and he is going to lay a table in your wilderness full of bread and maybe fish if you like fish and juice. That's our God. And so I want to invite you to come up this afternoon carrying your desires, carrying what you need, carrying what you long for for God and bring them to the table and receive the bread of Jesus' body and receive the port or the juice, the life of Jesus poured out for you and take them to eat and be satisfied. And may this eating and drinking this afternoon be an act of trust, an act of trust in your life that you will come and look to God for all that you need and that you will look to his provision that he would be enough and that he will somehow make a way for your satisfaction in wherever you find yourself in need this afternoon. So how about we come, we receive, and then maybe you'd like to go back to your groups that you just chatted in and just sit together. Maybe just someone in your group can pray a prayer of blessing and you can just eat and drink together. Does that sound okay? Let's, let's do that. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central. Ha, ha, ha.